0: Welcome to the Tria Prima podcast, a podcast about Freemasonry and the Western esoteric tradition. I'm Pat Shanahan here with Jake Traer and Jamie Paul Lamb, all all three back Hello. together.
1: Hi. It's been a while. Yeah.
2: For this Tria Prima.
1: Yeah, at least. some some months, I think. Yeah,
2: we had a we had a great guest, but we're back with the OG Tria Prima. That's
0: right. So uh, tonight we were kind of planning on talking about hermetic uh, cosmology. So Jamie, uh, kick us off. What do you, uh, you kind of had an opening.
1: Well, there was, if you remember, we had a conversation maybe um, a month ago. We were at an event of one society that we belong to. And um, the discussion came up about how um a lot of Western esoteric traditions are built upon or erected upon this Ptolemaic cosmology, right? There's there's a certain there's a certain structure to the cosmos that lends itself to or a certain model that lends itself to let's say Neoplatonism, Gnosticism, Mithraism, uh Kabbalah, um freemasonry uh rosicrucianism and and all of these even the gd and and all of these groups kind of function within the same cosmological paradigm and that's why when we talk about the elements the zodiac the planets and the you know the the ogdo sphere and the any sphere and all these things kind of relate to these component parts of this very common cosmological model so you remember you remember talking about that recently
0: absolutely and for me that was a real um eye-opener because for some reason up to that point i was i was kind of seeing all these different things as um part of a whole but separate you know kind of uh these different symbols over here these different archetypes over here the different uh, um, elements maybe over here the Kabbalah and this tree of life over there and then to kind of hear it all laid out together kind of for me it was it was it was real eye-opening and I, I thought that would make a fantastic um, episode because you know,
1: yeah, if there's one thing that unifies pretty much every, um, every, every tradition in Western esoterica um, or Western esotericism, it would be this cosmological model. You know, so it's like I mean, it's pretty much present in all of those, you know, and, and it's so much is erected on that initial model. And I would argue, and I think I argued when we had that conversation, that um, that uh, in the absence of knowing this fundamental structure, cosmic structure, um, it's pretty difficult to um, mentally organize, or it can be a messy organization, right? Or disorganized, right? And um, if we have that scaffolding of this cosmology in our minds erected, you know, it's, it's, it's the same reason why people use the uh, tree of life, you know, and the tree of life is directly based on this fundamental model that preceded it, this Ptolemaic cosmos.
0: So when you say Ptolemaic cosmos, let's start there because um, that's an interesting phrase. What does that mean?
1: Well, so so if you go back, really, I I guess you would probably start at Aristotle, um, and then it becomes a little more codified in Ptolemy. But you see, you know, it's it's these things that preceded Ptolemy, and he kind of put together. So here's what you have. At the very center of this cosmological model being georeferential, like we'll just say the earth is the center of it, right? And if you're a Kabbalist, you'd call that Malkut. So the Earth is the it's it's the sublunary sphere because it is under. This sphere of the moon and the earth consists of the four, what you would call Empedoclean elements, the four classical elements, which are earth, water, air, and fire, in, in that order, you know. And that's the sort of elemental sublunary sphere. Why um, that order? Because you have something called Aristotelian natural place, so Aristotle called this natural place, and that means that the Earth is at the center because it is the most dense of the four classical elements, and uh, and then water sits atop Earth. So you can see this demonstrated if you drop a pebble in a body of water; it sinks to the bottom. You know, so it's a pre-gravitational theory we didn't have the concept of gravity as we understand it today then you know that just wasn't wasn't a part of the physics at that time but uh but so in this pre-gravitational model you have earth which is the densest of the four classical elements uh and then you have water sitting atop earth which is demonstrable in nature right and then you have air on top of water, another thing that can be demonstrated through like bubbles, the rise to the surface of water. So air is going to um, be uh, rest atop the water. And then fire is lighter than air. We know this because, you know, you see flames rising through the air and, you know, hot air balloons and things like that. That demonstrate this, and the ancients knew this as well. So just in the elemental sphere, um, the sphere of the earth, what we would associate with Malkut, you find these four classical elements, the Empedoclean elements, in their natural place per Aristotle. So that's a good place to start. You know. And it's funny, while we're thinking about this, we might as well also be thinking about Agrippa. Right, Jake? Because you notice how his three books are ordered?
2: Sure. Well, I almost wanted to, uh, before we get too deep in the woods here, I think sort of what Jamie just laid out is... uh, So we posed a question before we hit record for the listener. And it was whether we should call what we were about to do hermetic cosmology or occult cosmology or something else. And we decided that's a good conversation for the podcast. But I almost think that's a good conversation to tee up kind of what we're talking about in a way before we get too much further. Because um, the hermetic cosmology that we sort of intended on talking about implies some sort of anti antagonistic relationship between that sublunary sphere and humanity's interaction with it you know that that Jamie just talked about and it's relationship with uh, the timeless realm or the what we'll get into next here which is that etheric sort of realm where the spheres of the planets live and beyond um, so just just so far, that model is, um, and it's sort of implied in, in the names of those two guys and their sort of lineages, sort of the scientists of history. Um, but that so far is, is just sort of the, the basic model. But we have to have this conversation now, which is um, where maybe Agrippa starts to develop this asp- the theurgic aspect. Is how how we how the relationship in this uh, sublunary realm and our interactions with the material realm and those elements and whatnot might um, um, might have a hermetic relationship with the uh, those other realms or that other realm,
1: like it's a resonant twi- sympathetic relationship, like a yeah. micro macro.
2: Yeah. Okay. So. I I just wanted to lay out that, so your question about Agrippa was essentially what? Say that again.
1: So his three books are organized in a cosmological order because you notice the first book is natural magic. It's elemental Mm. magic. Whereas the second book is celestial magic, which is planetary and zodiacal. And then the third book is um, super celestial or angelic magic, Magic. So he kind of, he, his books are outlined in the order, in cosmic order of rarity to density or mm. density to rarity, you know, because he starts with nature and he goes into the celestial spheres and then he goes into the super celestial. Would it be super or supra? I guess supra? Maybe supra celestial spheres. It's like without yeah so that would be like the angelic choirs and these angelic mm-hmm. hierarchies and and um these spheres like beyond the oak doad it being the eighth sphere mm-hmm. so so you know what you're right. We were drilling in too deep immediately. I think it's important to say this that there is a model upon which many if not all western esoteric traditions are based and the model essentially just skeletally goes like this yes yeah, it, it, it goes from density to rarity and it does this by going from the elemental center um and it rises through the planetary spheres which are etheric they don't consist of the elements they consist of ether they're crystalline etheric spheres and then it punctures the firmament, which is the canopy of stars, the fixed stars in the zodiac, you know, and then it, um, and then you're in like the Ennead, the Ennead or the noetic realm, right, in, in Platonism and kind of these more abstract, rarefied, like Keter, or like absolute, you know, you're in the platonic world of forms and Mm -hmm. ideas, capital F, capital I. So that's the skeleton of it is that it goes from physical manifestation in, in the center at the earth. Mm -hmm. And then it, and then it, it goes, it, it becomes rarer and rarer as it um, goes through the planets, through the zodiac, and then into these, you know, angelic hierarchies and beyond that, the one or whatever you prefer to call it. But there's different names for all of those spheres in the different West, Western esoteric traditions. But it's something of,
2: of which, let's point this out Hermeticism precedes all of those other things that we uh, talked about, whether it's uh, Gnosticism or up to the GD and anything in between. So to include, you know, Rosicrucian stuff or Kabbalah or so, um, so I think I'm getting to my answer sort of in my head right now to that question that we posed earlier, like kind of, what are we talking about? I think it's, I think hermetic cosmology is kind of the most appropriate name because that's really the holistic system of which the rest of the kind of occult history has, has built upon or sort of co- added commentary to.
1: Well, sure. Well, how about this? How about we laid out the skeleton of it, what it kind of looks like at its most bare and stripped down form? Um and then we can talk about what it is composed of more minutely and then maybe talk about how it's used in theurgy or magic, how it is used hermetically in terms of uh um sympathies between the celestial sphere and the terrestrial sphere, let's say. And then and then finally maybe culminating in how does one soul travel through that or up that ladder. Um mm-hmm. If to- it can. To if it can,
2: because that's for, another question.
1: Yeah. So yeah, maybe we should. What do you think, Pat? Drill into the structure of the cosmos per the Western esoteric traditions, and then the minutia of it, kind of, and then how it fits a magical or theurgical paradigm, and then how one might transcend it through work in say Kabbalism or the Golden Dawn or Mithraism or any number of Western esoteric traditions.
0: Yeah, I think that sounds great. I think that's that's a kind of one builds upon the next. So when right, we when we're talking about this hermetic um, cosmology, is this is this is this something that's kind of related to the the when we when we talk about the mysteries? Is this something that they would have been thinking of or been part of kind of how they were seeing the world?
1: It was certainly present in the mysteries, but right wouldn't the the mysteries would be the transmission of that material maybe not the material itself but the the mode of transmission is uh through mystery right right
0: great right. um yeah so let's 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 kind of tackle it as you were saying Jim.
2: so beyond uh, i so we're we're kind of at the we're now we're at the lunary sphere Jamie so you would you like to continue up your uh, Chaldean so be we, in order
0: we've gone we've 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 started with the earth and the elemental elements earth water air and fire and, and so now we're on we're going on to the kind of the next the right. next the e- right? etheric realm the yeah. etheric realm okay
1: right so then there is no so according to um I think it's according to essentially everybody and maybe starting with Aristotle, there is no ether in the planetary uh, domain, right There is no ether in the sublunary sphere. Uh, although that might have been now I'm not I'm not positive about this, but that might have been an alchemical aim to draw down ether, the quintessence into the elemental sphere. So I'm pretty sure that that was some sort of project that, just a short digression here, I'm pretty sure that was an alchemical project that was worked on, drawing the ether down through through the, uh, into the elemental sphere. But generally, ether does not exist in the sublunary or elemental sphere, but neither do the elements exist in the etheric spheres, which are supralunary. Right, so I think it's important to make to, to delineate that membrane. You know that this that the the sphere of the moon is the threshold of the elements, and it it uh, sort of separates them from the etheric spheres above it. You know, so if we're talking about, you know, we already kind of talked about the. Four classical elements in their Aristotelian place, from density to rarity. Then we talk about the the, the sphere of the moon being the first of the seven etheric spheres, right? right. Um, and then the planets are in their uh, their um, Chaldean order, so they're concentric concentrically enveloping each other in in these crystalline etheric spheres the seven planets are with the moon and then mercury and then venus and then the sun and then mars and then jupiter and then saturn so a a kabbalist would say um you know, the moon being Yesod, because we already talked about Malkut being um, elemental. So the moon would be Yesod, Hode would be Mercury, Netzach is Venus, Tifereth is the moon, um, Geburah is Mars, Hesed is Jupiter, and Binah is Saturn. So you have your seven planetary spheres right there.
2: Hmm. The rationale of the order is derived from their apparent speed from our perspective through the sky, right?
1: Right. So the ancients figured the moon was the closest because its diurnal sort of, or not diurnal orbit, I guess, just its its particular orbital cycle was the most rapid. And then the second most rapid was um, Mercury. So they figured that was the next closest after the moon and then so on and we know that saturn has a you know 28 27 30 year um, orbital period right so that's whereas jupiter has a 12 year cycle so they figured the f- the the longer the orbital period the further out that planet must be and that's why those planets are in what they call their Chaldean order
2: mm. and for what it's worth just a quick note on that is that you can derive quite a bit of um, you can rather you can intuit quite a bit of the uh, either mythical or um, symbolic nature of those planets um, based on just that what we just talked about especially something like Saturn taking the longest time and the, the implications that one could sort of derive from that, but also their, their ap- literal appearance in the sky. So, so really er, early on, or, or even without, you know, sort of getting into the weeds of studying, you know, uh, the filing cabinet's worth of, of symbolic implication that's been added over the past couple thousand years, before all that, you can start to um, intuit just by just by literally going out and looking up the same sorts of ins- uh, symbolic or allegorical interpretations that the ancients might have. Sure, I- being red or Saturn taking the slowest in the sky.
0: So, Sorry, go on. Like, like maybe maybe kind of expand what you mean by that. So, what, what how how different would the moon be from saturn and in, in what terms in terms of
2: the of their interpretation
0: yeah in terms of their interpretation
2: or their qualities
0: yeah their qualities kind of how they sure. would have i well, mean the, yeah jamie you
1: take it well i was going to say the moon the moon is where um like in astrological doctrine the moon is where the body and the soul are united um, it's actually in the prenatal syzygy they they would say so that's the that's the new or full moon immediately preceding birth so the moon n- nurtured the earth you know and nurturing is one of the significations of the moon in astrological theory just as with Saturn you know it is slow moving and that slow that slowness and that sort of like boundary because Saturn represents the boundary of the seven uh, planetary spheres it's the furthest one so boundaries and slowness and circumscription and limits are all things that we associate with saturn um just in general right particularly in astrological doctrine and um that's why you know if you're just bringing up the moon and saturn there are definitely things about their their just natural um their natural like way of being that that have lent themselves to their astrological yeah. interpretations their,
2: their their literal appearance in the sky
1: right
2: is is really where the basic interpretations sort of began I mean if you just think back and imagine um, what what it would have been like to look up in the skies back then it's hard to probably impossible to imagine but um i mean everything starts there so it's it's actually really and that when we get into like the theurgic stuff i feel like a, a lot of that's not too far off from the intuitive stuff that that you might do by just walking outside and sort of maybe up you know saying a prayer or something and observing the, uh, the literal appearance and kind of tracing that literally. Um, Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of value in that uh, beyond just the tech technique.
1: Oh yeah. Direct observation is like, nothing has made me feel more in touch with the cosmos than like, let's say 2020 when, when uh, astrology was super literal and you could, see the planets in their procession across the ecliptic very plainly at night. And we saw uh, Jupiter and Saturn come together on the first degree of Aquarius and everybody watched it. You know, it was something, it was like a show that went on for, you know, the better part of a year and a a drama, really a cosmic drama that we all witnessed that was also playing out in the world, you know. It was also having, you know, ramifications and sort of consequences. Uh,
2: hermetically.
1: Hermetically on the terrestrial sphere, which, uh, you know, if, if, that does, if that didn't make a believer that the, that the cosmos is enchanted and that planets have their own meaning and purpose um, apart from what we, you know, bestow upon them, you know, from our measly vantage point, I mean, they've got to have their, well, I think they've got to, it's, it's arrogant to think that they don't have their own, um, their own agenda, you know,
2: objective meaning beyond our experiential sort of,
1: yeah, more than we could know about them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It seems like
2: it. So, so, uh, we're looking at a tree of life, and we hit Saturn. That's uh, that's not all the way up the tree. There's still a few more spheres. Someone might have heard or read your paper on the discourse of the 8th and ninth. There's allusions um, throughout occult history to uh, spheres that are beyond that of the planetary. So, let's get into that. What is, uh, what is the 8th sphere? Jamie,
1: so the eighth sphere is the firmament, right? Um, it's the Ogdoad, you you would say in the Hermetic tradition, and I believe in, in several other traditions as well. Um, so it's it's the canopy of the fixed stars and the zodiac. It's sort of the the background against which the seven visible planets move and remember planets are called uh planets because they are wanderers uh, planetes astartes uh i think is how it goes it's uh uh wandering stars so, or asteres, planetes aster. i forget the word greek words for wanderer and star and uh we we see the planets moving against the stars which and the, and the zodiac which all move together they're fixed in their positions unlike the planets who meander you know and sometimes go retrograde sometimes station sometimes move quickly sometimes move slowly and uh you know sometimes conjunct each other or have other aspectual relationships On the ecliptic,
2: and this is where we get our signs. Yeah, obviously, it being the realm of the fixed stars, so the planets move across at least uh, in their path. Because, of course, there are constellations all over the sky. When we're talking about astrology, there are twelve specific constellations that the planets make their way through, and those those make up. Kind of the backdrop of of astrology as as we know it, um, and I guess we don't need to get into the signs because we're gonna do an astrology episode. Are we doing another astro? Did we do one and we're about to do round two?
1: No, we did one and we did one and it like didn't record or something. Yeah, oh, yeah, really? It, it was the
0: early days of Zoom and uh. um, we we recorded, but then it it just like. Well, it's meant and to save be and, because, and, yeah, because it'll I, I be think, better now. Yeah, I think we're going to do a better job of it now. I'm, I'm, I'm so, excited, excited about that one. Yeah. And, and, and I think we decided that this was a, a good starting point for that. Yeah. Like, yeah, you kind of lay this as a groundwork so that we can talk about that
2: next one. Right. So, so yeah, let's not get into it. I won't go into too much astrology. But anyways, firmament equals that eight sphere. Which is uh, which? Hokma. Which is Hokma? Okay, and that's our constellations, our signs, or or our places, right, Jamie?
1: Well, I don't know. Would you think the places are projected beyond the signs, or do you? Th- We're getting into astrology here. Maybe we shouldn't. All I right, think the,
2: we'll save I it. I think
1: I think the places are more in Malkut. Let's let's leave it at firmament.
2: That's true because they're because they're all right. Well. To be continued on that stuff right so that's our eighth sphere so we've got to recap the sublunary or earthly sphere it's made up of the elements then we get our seven planets then we get our fixed stars the firmament and then we still have more
1: yeah so that more um starts to change Per whatever tradition you're talking about yeah. at, at this point, you know, you can talk about the Christian tradition where it's um, from there. I think you probably get into the um, the nine angelic hierarchies, right, which I don't remember them in order. It's like angels, archangels, like thrones, governors, uh Afonim, S- uh, seraphim, seraphim yeah. cherubim, you know there there's nine orders of angels and um and they sort of um that they're they're structured all- i think there's three per sphere there's like three spheres with three orders of angels per sp- per sphere maybe um that's pseudo dionysius is the one who i think really codified that but you see it mm. in like dante and in um Medieval and Renaissance Christian cosmology—you'll see these
2: Kabbalah. You've got Keter,
1: right? Which, how do you explain Keter?
2: You can't really. But blinding light, unfounded light. Keter, the crown—is that what you're asking? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, everything that I know about Keter is is uh, like, you don't know this, essentially.
0: So right. This is the top of the tree of life. This yeah. This is the very, very top. Exactly. The opposite of Malkuth. Maybe that's the way to describe it.
2: Well, yeah, well, there's a saying, Keter is in Malkuth and, and Malkuth is in Keter, right? Um, I don't know where that comes from. but
1: Maybe because there's different worlds and each world has a right. tree right the four kabbalistic worlds
2: so you said that um the the sort of agreement as to this model starts to break down here between different different groups and that's something i kind of was getting to earlier in terms of there's a there's a disagreement as well in history between philosophers and astrologers theologians, theologians uh, as to whether that the time and eternity is something that can be breached. Time be, be, being constituted by... It. Well, it's that, um, it's that meeting point at, at the uh, sphere of the moon.
1: Right. Well, they did um, say this. They did say that um, beyond the firmament, if the soul or whatever made it beyond the firmament, it was liberated from the causal spheres. And I think I think Aristotle would have agreed um with that because he he called the ninth sphere, what we think of as the eneid or whatever that ninth sphere is, Keter, mm-hmm. he called that the uh the prime mover or the prima mobile, the first moved. You know? Yeah. So so that would be the first influence, right? And then Plato, um that would be his sort of noetic realm, I believe. Um, yeah.
2: Now, was Plato of the camp that that um, the ensouled could sort of pierce that veil, make it you know to eternity, and break the the sort of cycle of?
1: I think rebirth? that's that's at least the implication in the myth of Er, right? Because. Well.
2: The myth of error he's, he's at least shown sort of the whole thing, right? right? He is kind of given the big picture. I, I, I don't know whether and I'm saying that literally, I, do, I literally don't know whether um, it is implied that that he has broken that or something. Maybe that, maybe that is the implication that if you've sort of can see that whole system and further, we should definitely link Dan Atrell's uh, reading of the myth of error in this video.
1: Oh, I want to hear that.
2: Oh, so good. So huh. yeah, our our uh, listeners sh- should listen to Dana the Modern Hermeticist on YouTube. We'll link that at the bottom. He Does reads Does he have
1: commentary too?
2: No, he just reads it straight. Huh. But it's uh I almost kind of like it without, especially after listening to this podcast. Yeah. There's your commentary. Now go like listen to the myth of error. Anyways, but um we're getting kind of off track. That's my fault again. Is but that
1: how it said, myth of air"? i I've been saying er. Yeah. It's I don't probably, it's, what does he say? Er?
2: I don't know. He probably says it right, whatever it uh, is. Er. <laughs> yeah.
1: probably, probably er. I'm probably saying uh, it wrong. So the good so, rule of
2: thumb is I'm saying it wrong.
0: Okay. <laughs> so so what is the myth myth of er slash er? So in Plato
2: in Plato's go ahead. Jamie took a deep breath for it.
1: In no, I didn't in in the re, in the Republic. It's like the last book of the the fifteenth book of the Republic. Maybe you've probably read it or listened to it more recently than I have. I do know that that um, I could probably do the first part where the soul um, is outside of the causal spheres, and there is the spindle of necessity or Ananke, I think it is in the Greek. There's the spindle that is being. And there's some weaving sort of pattern that's being done by the fates. And I forget the name of the three fates. But the three fates are weaving this sort of thread on a spindle, I believe. And, and the soul um, enters into the planetary spheres. Oh, no. First, before the soul punctures the, the firmament to go down towards manifestation or incarnation, it is united with a daimon. Uh, which is their word it means demon right so the Mm. soul is united with its demon and as the soul is guided almost um, almost like psychopompically down into incarnation the soul takes on qualities of the planets vices virtues whatever these qualities are are grafted onto the soul as it as it comes down through and Plato had a different order than the Chaldean order. Do you remember that Plato's order? was, Yeah. His order was not Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, uh, the sun, you know, on the way Mm. down. Yeah. I think his order was slightly different. It was not, I seem to remember it not being Chaldean, but he went down through the spheres and, um, and took on a quality. And then, if he didn't talk about it going back up, and Newman just told me he did, like a few weeks ago, Newman and I were talking about this, and he said it is, uh, he does say something about it in there. Uh, so I'd have to go back and read. In that. the but myth? I think he does say something. Or somewhere
2: about- else? in the Republic.
1: Uh, I'm not sure, but mm. Newman was saying that there, it is somewhere in there. Cause I, we were talking and I was like, well, the implication is that if the, if the diamond could guide the soul into incarnation through the planets, then you, sh- then communicating with your diamond, you can, as an interceder you the implication is that you can go up through the spheres and that's where people like porphyry and Iamblichus and proclus and you know plotinus and the Neoplatonists got this idea that you can go up through the spheres and porphyry being a technician used astrology and that sort of work engaging with the daimon to theurgically rise through the uh the seven planetary spheres through the octoad, and then into liberation from causality with the help of the demon.
2: And maybe, maybe at the end of the astrology episode, we go through a bit of the process of identifying well, the daimon.
1: Yeah, or you can and do, its name, or you can do um, a pathworking exercise. Get real close to the mic.
2: Yeah, like this.
1: Yeah, and like guide us through a planetary pathwork and we
2: path, path working.
1: Yeah, where we give like up path, a vice give a, up <laughs> a vice and a virtue. Yeah. Or take no, off an article of clothing.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. We could that's go even, we could go we'll figure it out, but we'll go any direction we want with it. Path working. <laughs> strip, strip strip path, path, path
1: working, working. We little, Yeah. Well Inanna and Salome, right? Salome's yeah, uh, dance not, of the Seven Veils. Yeah,
2: it's not that far off, right? Uh, okay, so uh, well, where where are we at time wise? Oh, we got time. We got some time. Pat, Pat reel us yes. back in.
0: All right. So, uh, are you grasping all that? I, I well, am I grasping all of that? Uh, I, some of it. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely going to have to do some some work and reading. That now I've got to go read the uh, the myth myth of Ur. That's that's. Yeah. Uh, next on my reading list as of today uh so we've started at earth with with the element elements we, we kind of hit the lunar lunar sphere is that right lunar lunar, lunar sphere. Yep. and beyond and then, then then we've hit the uh the fixed stars and now we're kind of talking about the various um, takes on what comes after that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right?
2: Okay. Well, yes. so so, so some, what- you mean that so you mean that literally in the model, but there's also kind of the implication of the the sort of title of this episode, which is or or what we began to talk about right away, which is why that's important for what for what we're doing, um, which is kind of the conclusion of all this I guess
0: Get So somebody, why is
2: all that important
0: yeah why is all that important Where is why that, is how all we- that important
2: that's we're waiting for the listener to type their answer yeah Now, um, well this is another good one for Jamie but uh, you go well, first w-
1: well I would say I think it's important because um, because it's well it's the aim of um these western esoteric traditions to have this sort of initiatory progression through these these spheres right and for the soul to be united again with wholeness oneness you know it i mean it's microcosmically it's also the goal of something like psychoanalysis i would imagine right integration and and you know the sense of self capital s you know so even if you didn't take it literally like my even if you said well, you could say something like, "My etheric astral body is rising through the planetary spheres, and I'm being united with uh, the One in this theurgical, hynastic sort of revel- revelatory thing." And I mean that's highfalutin stuff, and it's like it's difficult to talk about because we can't even, you know, uh, it, like uh, becoming an, ab- an an abstraction or something like that, like the soul joining this rarefied abstract realm, you know, this realm of forms and ideas, almost like reverting to some sort of archetypal state, right? But what you might do to make it, make a more of a bite-sized chunk out of it is say that, okay, in my life, I can, I can, I could take on a virtue and give up a vice and I can associate this in my magical or theurgical work with each one of these spheres. I can become a better person. I could become a more whole person. You know, um, I can become someone who more has a more sense of connectivity with the cosmos itself. I could be a microcosm that resonates with, um, I can bring up that level of resonance that I have with the cosmos incrementally through working through the planetary spheres, you know? So, I mean, I guess the reasons why one would undertake this work are are manifold, right? But, uh, but um, and I mean, I think a lot of people have... A lot of traditions have a different objective. I mean, all of them are kind of the same. Like you would talk about theosis in Christianity, union with God, theos, right? You would talk about gnosis in Gnosticism, um, which would be like subject subject and object one in the act of knowing, this union through knowledge, right? More of an intellectual ascent, so kind of Platonic on its own, right? And then you have henosis. Uh Tohen means the one. Tohen, hen means one. So uh he is becoming one with or well become reunification with the one. Or just reunification because that that sentiment is already in that word itself. Reunification.
0: Is that Kabbalistic?
1: No, that's, uh, Pre- that's probably like right, okay. All
0: right. yeah.
1: Oh, the w- I thought you were talking about the word reunification. No, no that,
0: that um, I, no, not the word. No,
1: that would that, be proto
2: kabbalist That's proto-cobalus. Yeah, I mean, Kabbalism would be based on that idea mm-hmm. for sure.
1: And then Hermeticism, you see, like in in the Pymander or Pomandries, right. you see. Um, Book one, verse 25 is the one I always bring up. And that's the one where um, he he is, who's he? Hermes is talking to... Tot. Is it to Tot? No, no. I think it's in the Pymander it's somebody talking to Hermes, actually, isn't it? It's like the... Mm, Pomantris is talking to Hermes. Pomantris is like Hermes Daimon in that. He's like mm. his uh, his sort of uh, hi- higher genius or tutelary spirit. And he tells Hermes um, about the ascent through the planetary spheres. And he says, oh, we've got to like – Jake, take over for a minute because I'm going to find this and I'm going to read it to you.
2: Sure. All right, so Jamie essentially – answered, like, capital W-Y, like the big Y. Why. why is this... Why... He was almost answered, like, the uh, it's the practical application of the sort of model that we just laid out, which is, like, why do you... Why does this matter on a grand scale? Well, it matters because sort of the first philosophy, the divine philosophy, is unification with deity again. It's sort of turning turning back around and trying to ascend back up that, that, that ladder, per se. Um... I was t- I was taking and it's good because I took that why in a different direction in my head, which essentially why is it important for anyone that considers themselves uh, uh, an initiate or um, any other you know the uh, Western esotericist, or even an Eastern for that matter an occultist. Why is it important to the occultist to to know that model? Well, it's important because that model is is the essence. In a lot of ways, it is the foundation or it's the skeleton, like we said earlier, of pretty much all of the stuff in terms of these esoteric histories and lineages and fractures and tributaries and distributaries. They're all really built upon that cosmological model or a slight variant thereof, right? If Plato put them in a different order and the, some, you know, a Martinist group changed it a little bit here and the Kabbalist. Change it a little bit there, but in essence, you see this everywhere in one way or another. Whether it's some allegorical or mythological um, portrayal of these of these principles that we're sort of talking about, or a more literal um, sort of curriculum that you might be assigned, like in the GD, le- that you might be assigned when you're when you go to join one of these groups or or whatnot, or if you're a Mason. You know, you might pick up Jamie's book and and see that word, or you know, it's and not just Jamie, but you might um, you you are going to run into this stuff one way or another. And why it's a a good place to start, even or to restart if you've already began, is because it's it's almost like trying if you're diving into this occult stuff, and uh, you you're going to run into the names of the planets and the signs and this and that in one way or another. And uh, it's almost like me trying to learn Hebrew, right? Now I know the letters, and I know their sound and whatnot, but I still don't know the structure of the language. I can't speak it. The beautiful thing about this model that we're talking about here is it's really learning to speak the occult language in a way, I would say. Right. Yeah. So so you can you can either kind of not dive into this stuff and consider yourself an occultist or a hermeticist or an alchemist or a Rosicrucian or a Freemason or whatever. But uh, those things will will really um, flower and blossom in a whole new way had you really had this model sort of solidly in your consciousness. Um, And it's not as hard as trying to learn I would say Hebrew or an actual language, you know, of a spoken language. It's a language that's very archetypal and intuitive in a lot of ways. And if you can really get it down and, and there are a lot of really cool mystical paintings and, and carvings and all sorts of things that I'm sure we'll link again or put on the post for this video. Or that even really, the zero. That really like lock this in for you. Um. So my my why is like the lowercase why. Well, well, you should learn it because it's the language, really.
0: Yeah. So, so like, you, you, you take the tarot, and you may kind of have some idea for what some of those cards may mean and the different archetypes. But then once you understand some of this, the symbolism in what we've been talking about today, that adds like a whole other layer to all of those cards. Yeah. Right? You start thinking about um planets and you start thinking about elements like that that all of a sudden unlocks a lot of stuff there in, in those in those images
2: you really begin to peer into these disciplines in a whole new light really once you start to grasp the hermetic cosmology
1: yeah and one works like a rosetta stone for the next you know like um, yep. even in terms of like um mythology you know like you can see certain like stellar lore let's say if you take this uh astro mythological perspective that that feeds into this cosmological thing which also feeds into tarot imagery if you know actually atri- you know certain attributions of the tarot and how they pertain to the you know how they are hung on this model you know mm. anyway i found this uh trees P- one
2: more thing it, before you go it, on to that
1: yeah it, um
2: and I just thought of this because I was thinking of our uh, uh, basically a book club, in essence, that we have. Really, a lot of these source texts that you might run into will become a lot easier to understand, also, if you have this in your mind. Oh, absolutely. So, so uh, whether it's the Bible or, or some selected works yet, out of the sir. Zohar, exactly. All of that stuff really is illuminated. With this understanding, you can read that stuff and c- be completely lost, um, or you can have this as a basis and be only a little bit lost.
1: For sure, and <laughs> as a as a as one of the primary examples, this is uh, verse 24, 25, and twenty six from uh, the Poemandries. The f- largely, uh, you know, I think. Pretty much, uh, you know, people usually put this as the first of the 17 books of the Corpus Hermeticum, the Philosophical Hermetica. And um, second, maybe third, I don't know, first, second, third century CE, at least when it was written by scribes, but it comes, you know, a a lot of people now believe that this is much older material with Egyptian origins, uh, despite what Casabone said, and if you know that whole story, but there's been some recent light shined upon these works that um, antedate them quite a bit in the oral tradition. Anyway, so this is a very old piece of Hermetica, and um, the pertinent passages go like this, and if you did not have an understanding of this model, you would miss a lot of what we're talking about here. It goes, well, wait, well have you taught me all, as I desired, O mind, and now pray, tell me further of the nature of the way above, and now it is for me. To this man-shepherd said, When the material body is to be dissolved, first you surrenderest the body by itself unto the work of change, and thus the form you hadst doth vanish, and you surrenderest your way of life, void of its energy, unto the daimon." The body's senses next pass back into their sources, becoming separate and resurrect as energies and passion and desire withdraw unto that nature which is void of reason. And thus it is that man doth speed his way thereafter, upwards through the harmony. To the first zone he gives the energy of growth and waning. Unto the second Devices of evils, now de-energized. Unto the third, the guile of the desires, de-energized. Unto the fourth, his domineering arrogance, also de-energized. Unto the fifth, unholy daring and the rashness of audacity, de-energized. Unto the sixth, striving for wealth by evil means, deprived of its aggrandizement and to the seventh zone, ensnaring falsehood, de-energized. And then, with all the energizings of the harmony stripped from him, clothed in his proper power, he cometh to that nature which belongs unto the eighth. And there, with those that are, hymneth the Father. Corpus Hermeticum. Fantastic Beautiful. material, yeah, yeah. And what, s-
2: what a perfect way to illustrate that point. Yeah, that really would. Two years ago, right over my head. In fact, we did we did go through that. That text is yeah. that from the Way of Hermes?
1: Um, no, that translation was. I think it might have even been the. Uh, uh, I'd have to look again. I just oh, no, uh,
2: no problem, but it, it
1: might have been amazing. the GRS Mead.
2: Yeah. Um. Oh man, I had a thought and I totally lost it. Pat, what do you got?
0: You were saying uh, two years ago you wouldn't have got. Uh.
2: Well, be- before that, I was. I was. I had a. I had a point as Jamie was was reading. How was how each of up.
1: those correspond to the planets, and it was obvious. And well, it yeah. was even obvious which planetary sphere they were talking to- about. Totally
2: obvious, but you can see where, uh, you know, as. As the ancients sort of assigned these vices, um, well, how many sins are there?
1: How many deadly deadly sins? sins.
2: How many deadly sins are there? Right? It's like how many?
1: How many? How many uh, theological and cardinal virtues are there? Seven.
2: Seven. Seven. Yeah. Three. Yeah. So this stuff is is it underpins our society still to this to this day kind of without us even realizing it both in religion and outside of religion but it's um
1: it's part of the it's part of the collective psyche it's part of our language yes. in symbolism in dreams you know in in you know probably filmmaking writing any sort yeah. of book how many Story stories coming. are there
2: yeah and and retellings of of stories of old stories over and over again the original Sort of myths. Um, anyways, well, you can see where, and maybe maybe we get into this more with the astrology episode because we're about an hour. But um, that that cosmology uh, sort of in in certain instances necessitated uh, theurgy. Yeah. And um,
1: that that could be its own episode too. How does one apply apply theurgy to the central project of um, implied by that cosmology? You know? So really,
0: what we just talked about was kind of the theoretical and the philosophical.
2: Yeah. How do we make that ascent now? And in, in, in the next That's theurgy.
0: The next part of this could be the the practice or the yeah. Uh,
1: yeah whether it's astrological theurgical alchemical those are the three hermetic arts astrology theurgy and alchemy so and they're all based upon this very model so yeah, in the absence of, in in the absence of knowing this mo- i mean you have to know this you know
2: yeah, I have to i mean even if you're doing uh well i don't know here's an interesting question does the chaos magician need to know anything about hermetic cosmology
1: chaos magic being a meta paradigm from what i understand uh all they have to know are other paradigms to um to sort of um poach Mm. right so i don't know if they need to know anything other than how to poach another pair i mean i'm not dissing them but i think that's actually being a meta paradigm doesn't that mean you just uh kind of poach other paradigms and you know hollow them out or scoop out their innards and lay yeah. in there
2: so maybe uh but I would still argue that that because I believe theurgy was was born of the problem that we're talking about, trying to make that ascent sure um that anything that you could classify as Theurgical or magical, in terms of some sort of operation, even down to this, to the mundane level, and like like prayer, um, all sort of comes from the the central problem that we just talked about for an hour.
1: Yeah, great job. Yeah, this
0: is fascinating. I I, I absolutely think. This conversation, you know, once we review a little bit, that there's going to be a couple other episodes that come from this. Um,
2: some good nuggets in there.
0: There's some really good nuggets in here, yeah, and and I think this is laying the groundwork for some really cool talks. You know,
2: I think Soon. one thing that's really important that we that we should touch on in another episode for sure is the importance of of. Um, Analogy and metaphor down into the history of this stuff as well, and and kind of we're still stuck using it nowadays. But it, analogy is sort of the is the and metaphor is the way we sort of speak this language um, in a way or or conceptualize it. So I think that's another interesting conversation. Is like the use of analogy, even in even in like geometry with something like Plato or Pythagorean sort of number theurgy. Um, e- even they use um, geometrical analogy and um, that's really the way they frame a lot of their, their arguments. So I think that's another cool um, cause you just heard in that reading, didn't they, didn't they say um, something about harmony?
1: Yeah, and it was capital H by yeah. the way. So the harmony, the celestial harmony. So the, that uh,
2: that harmony you, is is likened to analogy. Yeah. Um, etymologically as well, there's some sort of of distinct um. The word harmony. Yeah. Well, we'll. will I'll unpack that maybe in another thing. But there's, because I'm on this whole divided lines thing still, right? Because I'm trying to do this presentation. I can't wait to hear all about that. But uh, anyways.
1: Well, let's do that. And you got to head that up. I'd like to hear more about, I know you've done a lot of great work with the divided line. And you've looked into uh, some, a lot of Pythagorean stuff. And this whole numerological, geometrical thing. And how these, uh, you know, platonic solids and stuff. And, it's
2: all fun stuff. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah.
1: that That's its own uh, kind of episode as well. So we got to remember that. We'll listen to this one. When, when we think we're running out of ideas for episodes, we've got, we were just inspired to do about three or four more. So, yeah.
2: Well, okay. One thing we can't forget, we forgot to do the last episode is maybe some s- suggested reading here before we, before we break. That's the Kruppus
1: Hermeticum. The oh, Sefer Yetzirah. Yet
2: so okay.
1: Um, so we'll link Kabbalah, de, Kabbalah de Nudada. Kabbalah Unveiled.
2: I'm gonna say again, the myth of Air or Ur
1: uh, is. Oh, Porphyry's commentary on the Cave of the Nymphs.
2: Porphyry gets gets pretty dense, but yeah, for sure.
1: More dense than the Republic? I don't think no, so.
2: But I, well, yeah, probably not. I don't know. Those are probably good ones. I mean, again, yeah. like we just talked about that a lot of stuff is kind of relates back to this. So you could probably read anything you've been reading and sort of reread it with this understanding and exactly. kind of gain, gain some more stuff out of it, but we'll throw yeah. some stuff down in the link. Sounds back. good.
0: Well, absolutely. Take us out? Yeah. Uh, thanks guys. This was really, uh, we packed a lot into uh, an hour and three minutes.
2: So I think we picked it up towards the end. That was good.
0: Yeah, that was really great. All right, guys. Um uh until next time, uh this is the Tree of Prima podcast. Make sure to head over to Treeprima.co, not com. We couldn't afford the M. So um check out all sorts of articles
1: and, we couldn't uh, afford the M because that costs only.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right. yeah, we're ending it there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> See you for the astrology episode. See you for
0: the astrology episode next.
2: Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.